Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to another episode of Who's Who, a P100 podcast production brought to you by the Muslim American Society. Who's Who is a podcast for and by young Muslim professionals. I'm your host, Abdusalam Dawood Marshall, and we've got a great show for you today. I'm super excited to welcome our next guest to today's program. She is a self-described mom, wife, life coach, and therapist in that order. And I would add inspirational speaker. Assalamu alaikum, Amina Saad, our guest today. Thank you so much for that. Welcome, Sister Amina. It's wonderful to have you. As I said, I'm, I'm so excited to get to talk to you today. I've got so many questions. Um, I'm excited to talk to you because I, I find that your, your profession as a life coach and as a therapist uh, is so, first of all, fascinating and so vital for our community. Um, yes, absolutely. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, given, given the challenges of that field, I imagine it's more of a calling than just a job. So I really, want to, I really want to get into your personal pathway to this profession. I'm curious if this was a lifelong ambition or something that you discovered along the way. So let's begin with what inspired you to become a therapist and a life coach. Let's do it. Hit the question, that deep one. Um, so I guess you can say you, 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 you hit it on the nail before is it's more of a, a calling and I, never really something that came to me initially. Um, it was something that found me later on. And so I always tell people like, I didn't choose the profession. I feel like the profession chose me. Um, it happens, I guess you can say, you know, my senior year of high school, psychologies were what interested me then. It just piqued my interest. Majoring in psychology, I actually wanted to become an attorney. I wanted to either do business law or you're gonna laugh. I wanted to do divorce, divorce law, <laughs> go figure. Okay, I probably would have been horrible at it putting people together instead of doing the job I needed to do. Um, but that's kind of what ended up happening throughout college and then just falling in love with psychology and you know people um, along the way and the research programs that I, I used to join. Um, and for some reason, it just felt, it felt like, okay, like this is something I enjoy being with people. and. I think all my life since I was a kid, my mom used to always say like, you're always arguing, you're just an arguer. And they're like, you should become a lawyer because you argue. And as I became an adult, I realized it wasn't arguing that I was doing. I was poking around because I wanted to understand. So people would take it as if I'm being argumentative. In reality, I'm not trying to argue. I'm, I'm, I'm trying just to understand. So I, I used to get down deeper and, and want to know like the, but, but why, not why to challenge you, but, but why, like, tell me, I, I want to understand you. And so throughout that time, you know, becoming an adult and learning that about myself, when people used to oh, tell me or my mom, you just always argue. And I'm just like, but, but I'm not, I, I don't, I don't argue. And um, it wasn't until uh, after graduating, I actually graduated college a year earlier than I anticipated. I, I had no idea. I had nothing lined up. I didn't, you know, have any law schools lined up or any programs or anything like that. And so I just told myself, all right, I have to study for the LSATs. Mm -hmm. And I sat down at the um, dining room table in uh, my parents' house. And I just started studying until something just didn't click, something didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And I spoke with um, a cousin of mine back in Arizona. She herself was in the counseling field. Uh, she did social work. Mm -hmm. And I had lunch with her and we just talked and dove in. And I said, you know what, for some reason, I feel like counseling is something I want to do. And it peaked when I had read this chick flick book mm -hmm. when I was back in high school about a guidance counselor. And, mm -hmm. and I thought that would be really cool, but it, it was a little bit deeper than that, the helping and, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And she told me, she's like, you know, Mina, this is one of the most rewarding jobs ever. And mm -hmm. a quote that I love by mother Teresa, since I can remember was always leave 
um, a person feeling happier, let them, let them feel happier mm -hmm. and greater. And so I used to live by that goal by walking away from people or a conversation in hopes that maybe I added something or inspired something or made them feel good about themselves. And so I just, all of these little pieces, I just, you know, put them all together. And I was like, I just, I think this is just it. And so I decided to, you know, throw away the LSAT books and I just started applying to programs and subhanAllah, that's just how my journey began. SubhanAllah, that was your, your path. I mean, it's amazing. Yes. Just um, again, you clearly have that 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 um, talent for probing and, and finding the truth in, in someone's problems. And it's oh yeah, it's, it's lovely that you um, you saw the value in trying to bring people together rather than facilitating their their separation. So it's it's wonderful. Again, I probably would have been the worst divorce attorney ever. I, I could just see it now. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned uh, again, you're you know this encouragement from your parents um, uh, about you know becoming a lawyer, and we do have that kind of stereotype that in the Muslim community or the Arab American community, it's like, or are you going to be a doctor or a lawyer? You know, the choice is yours. Or a yeah, exactly. Boring. My dad is like, oh yeah, and I used to tell my dad when I was a kid, I'm going to be a judge and I'm going to be the best judge ever. And my dad is like, yeah, Harvard Law School. I'm like, yeah, Harvard Law School. <laughs> and it was never really pushed on me. Actually, it was something when me and my when I, I was really little, Law and Order. Me and my father mm -hmm. used to sit and watch Law and Order all the time since I was a kid, mm -hmm. and it's been on forever. Yeah. And um, that's just kind of where I guess the 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 love for becoming an attorney, you know, came from. Just my dad and I sitting there and how proud my dad used to look in his face mm -hmm. when I said, I'm going to become an attorney and go to Harvard Law School. And he used to just light up. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that. <laughs> so what happened when you said, you know what, I'm putting away the LSAT books and I, I want to pursue this, this pathway instead to become a therapist. What happened then? What was the reaction from your family or your community? You know, it's really funny because, you know, no one, especially, you know, culturally, like the whole talking about your problems or therapy and mental health is not really a thing. You know, it's either family's very religious. They say, turn to God and open the Quran or, you know, very cultural. In my, my case, my, my parents, you know, and my family, they're more cultural. And it was like, um, physical therapist. And it's like, no, no, like you have to say in Arabic, I am in next, like the study of the brain. And, and they just couldn't kind of understand, like my grandparents couldn't understand that concept. And, mm -hmm. and, but the one thing I had to say is I actually got more support Whereas I know I've heard people, colleagues, or even now I'm getting emails from, or, 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 you know, DMs from people who say, Hey, like I'm having trouble getting to this field and I'm not getting any support. I, on the other hand, actually got support hmm. where still my family didn't believe in therapy or didn't believe in going to therapy as their daughter or their niece and their, what is actually becoming a therapist. And they, I think sometimes I know my family sometimes forgets that I am a therapist and I'm like, Oh yeah, it works because you're good at it but they would never go or they would never believe in it, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I got the support because it's like, okay, if that's something, that's our niche, then let's go for it. But the other thing too, is the one thing that they saw in me is that I had that niche to put people together and to make people feel heard. And because of that reason that that talent, that's why they thought of it. Oh, that's perfect for her because that is her talent. Mm -hmm. And she would be good at it for those that do believe in it. So I was sort of pretty much given more support than, than anything else. Alhamdulillah. Um, yeah. What would be your advice to um, other you know, young Muslims who are inspired by what you do and want to follow that pathway who might be encountering those issues? Any practical advice you would give them? Yeah, you know, I guess it just depends. There's two layers. There's those that are being told, no, you can't and, and no, and they're feeling conflicted. I feel like, you know, when it comes to people who are struggling with, with that scenario, mm -hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, I would recommend they really sit and talk about their passion and why they're, they're in love with it. 
Um, and there's a video that I watched, um, a sheikh actually on YouTube, and he was talking about mental health. And he had said, he goes, you know, there's, there's illness, mm-hmm. physical illness that the Quran cannot heal. Mm-hmm. And one of those things is a mental illness. Mm-hmm. And then there's the illness of the heart, which mm-hmm. is what the Quran can heal. And you can fall depressed and unhappy because of life's, you know, situations and scenarios and fall deep into it. Mm-hmm. That is the illness of the heart and the emotion. That is something that therapy, you know, can help um, as well, but also turning to, you know, God and, and, and focusing on, you know, spiritual pathing and, and, and meditation that, that, that definitely can be a cure for it. Mm. But then you have mental health, uh, mental health, which is there's, there's, there's a side of it. That's the, the sick, that the illness that you can't really just cure, mm-hmm. you know, just from picking up the Quran and, and making mm-hmm. dua, which of course you can, mm-hmm. but you can't. And the sheikh said it perfectly. He goes, you know, you you can't tell a a patient who has cancer to open up the Quran and find a cure there. Mm -hmm. It's the same scenario. And so I think being able to navigate that conversation, you know, with with your parents and family that don't believe in it. Mm -hmm. And then also when you can speak about why you want to become this, your passion comes out, your love comes out. It also brings that tone for them to really like, oh, I'm hearing it in a different way. That's in hopes you have, parents who are you know obviously open to hearing you mm-hmm. but unfortunately that's not the case with many people that they have parents that are just you know very old school shut mm-hmm. themselves off to it completely and you know mm-hmm. there's no right answer to mm-hmm. you know be able to navigate that conversation right right <clears throat> you you've a few times alluded to this tension at times between um you know your faith which 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 should be a, a source of emotional support and strength as well as um, you know the, the need for professional mental health sometimes. Um, how do you see um, your your faith kind of informing your um, your practice as a therapist, um, or do you ever have conflicts there? Um, absolutely not. And and there was that moment when I had just transitioned and left California, where I'd gotten my master's degree and I, where I started my practice. Um, I had came back here for some time when I was in transition. And I had some time off because I had been engaged at that time, subhanAllah, which was, you know, this is why I think that this time in my life was so like, I just see light whenever I think of this time in my life. And I had the time off because I was transitioning, leaving from one state to another. So I was in New York at this time because I was supposed to move to Michigan. And subhanAllah, I had all this time to just dive into the Quran. And like, Mm -hmm. I wanted to open up that book and really like understand certain things. And it inspired, it was listening to a lecture by Nu'man Ali Khan. And he was talking about the hijab and Surah An-Nur. And I was like, huh. So I joined Bayana's, you know, uh, Bayana's online, you know, whatever. And, and, and I jumped into it and, and I started really studying Surah An-Nur and understanding the concepts and whatnot and learning. Hijab is about more about the confidence that women don't just wear it. It's specifically not because men can't control their gaze. Because mm-hmm. if that was the case, then the ayah of men would be after the ayah of women, right? That mm-hmm. order is very important. Mm-hmm. It tells men, hey, control your gaze. Make sure you do that. And then, hey, by the way, women. So mm-hmm. the biggest thing that inspired me to bring in Islam mm-hmm. and realize and rip away at that the psychology and bring that into a lot of my, my, my teachings and my sessions is because God already knows, Allah SWT puts these things in play because he already knows the mental health and, and what goes on and, and he already predicted these things. And so he mm-hmm. put certain things in play. Mm-hmm. Women's specific struggle, right, is her confidence. And it is psychology will tell you women their struggle too with reassurance need of reassurance Mm. um, because of our hormones and we're just emotional that way Mm. and so hijab helps with boosting 
Mm. And again, it's not just wearing the scarf, right? It's the clothes, the voice, the way we carry ourselves. Mm. Allah SWT already tells us we're beautiful and we're perfect. We don't need mm. to use ourselves to, to, you know, to gain, you know, what we need, just, just use your voice and, and, and communicate. And so when that happened, I started ripping out other surahs mm. and studying other surahs and some surahs do have what the psychology books have already been teaching us from, from years and years and stuff like that and studies. And I'm just like, I just had that, oh no. And like, wow, you know, and, and I just, I couldn't believe it. And so that's when I just started to create groups for girl groups and, and, and groups for, for males. And um, next thing you know, you know, I was able to just pull different um, practices for people based on what Allah's already giving us instead of using what the textbook says and marry those two together. What do you think the biggest misconception of, of, of couples counseling or, or therapy is out there? Uh, in general. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, basically feeling like either the counselor doesn't get it or the counselor, you know, because they're not in our culture or not in our religion, that would be that. The other one is, oh, I think the counselor is going to choose because it's going to be a woman, you know, she's going to take the wife's side or if it's a male, oh, he's going to, you know, um, you know, not understand, or he's going to be too much about, you know, the sex drive. And, um, the other ones are, I think the biggest misconception too is it's just not going to work. Mm. But you haven't even given them a chance. Like Jump faith. in it. Yeah. Jump in it. Yeah. And it is kind of disheartening when I do hear a lot of them. I, I feel so bad they hesitate because they've had bad experiences or they've had experiences where the therapist just wasn't for them. And my one piece of advice for all of you out there that you've had bad experiences for the therapist mm. or you feel like you've, um, you know, you're afraid of having that lack of connection you guys talk to your therapist, tell them how you feel in that moment, because there's a lot that can come out of therapeutic work, even for yourself that can come out in that moment of communicating, hey, I feel like this is not working and this is why, or I feel like you're not meeting my needs and this is why. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times you can be triggered in ways you don't even understand that the therapist is probably bringing out for you. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it is that you just don't vibe with that therapist because that, that maybe that therapist's approach is not for you. And maybe you just need to understand that and try and find someone that works. So don't give up don't give up, find that therapist or communicate to your therapist what doesn't work for you. There's so much beauty in that, in that moment. You have to give it a try. Don't give up. And as you said, just keep the communication open. Keep the communication open. There's so much that can happen. So much that can unfold when you're open with your communication. Um, I, I'll ask this sensitively because I know you have to protect the privacy of, of your, your clients and patients. But um, I imagine this is, a, a, again, a, a difficult um, profession, but also one that can be inspirational. Um, and I'm wondering if you, you've had breakthroughs with people or with couples, um, you've turned uh, people's lives around, uh, if there's any memorable moments that you could share with us. I actually do. Um, I have one couple, and I've actually never, ever spoken about this before. Mm. I never felt like I think I just wanted this one for me, but um, no one's ever directly asked me that question. I have a couple who named their child after me. And I think it was one of the most um, emotional moments for me, I think in that moment. I still have times where I feel like I'm not doing what I need to do or I'm not helpful or am I really you know, useful for this individual? Mm. And you know, I still have those. And sometimes I wonder like, why is this client still with me? Mm -hmm. And I remember telling my supervisor that, and I was like, you know, um, and this is a supervisor reached out to a supervisor back then. I remember calling her and we talk every now and then. 
And she was like, I mean, what makes you think that, you know, you're not useful and what makes you think you're not being useful? And, and I was like, well, I don't know. I, I don't know get why this client is still here. I, I feel like I'm not really doing anything. Mm. And she goes, but they've been with you for umpteenth years. Mm. So clearly you're doing something right for them. You know, they're not going to just sit and pay out of pocket for something. And mm. it kind of clicked, I think, in that moment that, you know, taking a look at the clients that are with me and my clients have been long-term. And I think the most, I guess you can say memorable moments for me are to know that the clients that are still with me, you know, um, you know, not the ones that we've wrapped up because I've told them, okay, you're good to go, you know, but the ones that are still there and, and still just want that their, their maintenance or still kind of checking in, I guess it, it's rewarding for me. And, and it gives me some reassurance that, okay, like, I guess what I'm doing for them is right. Because that's all I, I want, you know, is I, I think for me, it's just more about making sure I'm doing what's right for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't do this as a profession for the money. I don't do this as a profession mm-hmm. because of the, whether it's a status or gainer, it, it's not mm-hmm. about that. You know, I, I genuinely want to try to flip people over and, 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 and give them what it is that I thought maybe a piece of me that I was missing or something that I wanted as a, as a kid and adult growing up. Like I wanted that individual. Right. Well, it sounds like you've made such an impact on so many people's lives. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> well, you have a baby named after you. I mean, that's pretty good. <laughs> that, is, that is one thing I could hang my hat on is that I is do. Awesome. I have a baby out there named after me, which is so special. <laughs> um, I imagine, again, that, that it can also be emotionally draining work. And I'm wondering how you um, how you maintain your own well-being. Um, you hear the the troubles of people all day long. And how do you maintain resiliency for yourself? Yeah. Um, I think the first couple of years, um, of practice, that's where I felt it the most, Mm. you know, um, I think my, my first, my first case, um, as a rape victim actually that I had was what kind of shifted things. Um, and, um, it, it it is, you know, and, you know, you come home and you don't want to hear anyone talk. And usually I like being around people at that point is, I've never in my life, by the way, one thing people used to know about me is, especially my supervisor will always say it, like, where are you zooming to? Like, you're always busy doing something. And my dad will tell you as well, like she always has to be doing 10 things at once to be happy. And that is true. I don't know how to just sit and do nothing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until getting into this profession mm-hmm. that I used to come home for my first few years of practice. And I used to just like to lay down on the bed and just stare at a white ceiling, mm-hmm. just a blank wall. And I could sit there for an hour. And I've never been able to do that. The old me, mm-hmm. never. And, you know, it was because I think it was just about putting piece pieces together mm-hmm. um, and knowing how to regulate, you know, some of these things on my own because it, it, it's overwhelming and it's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually, you know, um, I think for me, what keeps me going is the fact that there is someone out there that needs, you know, someone to help. Right. And, and I think the rewarding piece about it is knowing that I am maybe making somewhat of an impact, you know, in this world, you know, to try to give that balance. Um, and so Alhamdulillah, I've, I'm really good. And one thing I, I really, I have to say, to be honest, is I'm proud of myself is that, you know, I'm able to regulate and I can actually shut the door and put everything behind me and say, all right, this is going to be here. And I know basically set up boundaries. So what keeps me being able to do that is boundaries. And so emotional draining for me, um, I have to say, thankfully hasn't happened in such a long time. Um, as long as I, I take care of my own, you know, uh, mental health, right. I have my friends, my family, my support system, just enjoying life, enjoying the things I want to do and taking some time for myself, you know, that, that 
10 minute shower I get, Mm -hmm. you know, that silence and being able to take care of my physical and mental health too. Mm -hmm. Um, as long as I, you know, I'm on top of that, you know, everything is again, but I, I, I think because of how much I love the work, I feel like I'm not as impacted as I hear a lot of my colleagues, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that, that they are, I think you have, you have to really love this job. You have to really love what you do. And when you can do that, it helps you with regulating basically. I feel like I was too wordy there. (laughs) No, no. And and going forward, even um, you mentioned, you know, in terms of your priorities, you see yourself as a mom first, a wife, and then a therapist and life coach. Um, Yes. How do you maintain that balance? Or uh, do you have advice for, especially again, um, young Muslim professionals who might be new to marriage um, or maybe new moms and also juggling a career? Um, How do you do it? And what advice do you give? Um, Yeah, you have to be raised by my mom. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My mom has always been, um, I guess you can say like it, watching her do it all. I think that the mental state of mind was that it's, it's doable, you know, and, and I always tell people, if you think positive, you're going to gain positive, but it's, it's a mindset. Like if, if you tell yourself it's possible, um, then you can do it, but you, you have to check where you're, what you're able and capable and be realistic with yourself. Because then if you burn out, then you can't be a mother, a wife, a, a daughter, a sister. Right. And so you have to be real with yourself. And so the first thing I, I ask everyone to do is look and see where your weaknesses are you know, or where, and I don't like to use the word weaknesses, but where your opportunities are, where are your opportunities with things that, you know, you need to build, um, to be able to do it and be realistic is, is what do you truly want in life and what are your priorities? And so if you can list out your priorities, then you're able to give focus and, um, effective scheduling mm-hmm. and tell people just effective planning and scheduling. Mm-hmm. And I do want to make a video on how to use planners the right way. There's a right way of using a planner that no one really knows. So check out my Instagram, you guys soon, for my IGTV video on that one. Awesome. But when you can use a planner correctly and you can schedule yourself correctly, you'll see like where your priorities fall and how, you know? So I think because my third, you know, um, you know, is the career, mm-hmm. I ask myself, okay, what is open? My, what's my availability based on what I can give? How much of myself I can give and plug those in. And if I can't do it, I just got to say, sorry, I can't do it. I, that's the boundary I have to put up for myself. I just can't do it. It, This does not fit in this line right here. This is for my daughter. This is for my husband. This is for my home. This is for work. And you just start plugging things in and there you go. Mm -hmm. And you have to put yourself first in order to regulate all of that. So focus on your mental health, self-care. That is the the biggest, most important thing ever. Because if you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anything and anyone. So put yourself technically, you got to put yourself first in there. But the way you put yourself first, like I said, is effective planning uh, and scheduling is so important. Knowing those priorities first, it's not just about managing the time. Or- uh, number one, know your priorities. Exactly. Because no. when you know your priorities, you can set them and lay them out correctly. Well, you've given us so much wonderful advice to think about. And I really Good. appreciate you sharing your story. Your mother was clearly a wonderful role model to you. And you are now becoming a role model to others. Um, so those, those out there who want to learn more from you, um, you mentioned your Instagram, are there other ways they can follow you, get in touch with you or, um, learn from you? Yes, absolutely. So you can follow me, of course, at lemons underscore by Amina, A-M-I-N-A. Um, or you can also go onto my website at amina.coach and my Instagram and all of that information is there as well. Um, and yeah, 
my email address and phone number, all of that is, is on there as well. Amina.coach. Great. We will check it out. Uh, and Sister Amina, again, we want to thank you for joining us. And I'm wondering if you would honor us uh, with a dua as we, as we end the show, if there's a favorite dua or go-to dua that you'd like to um, close us out with. So the dua of Prophet Yunus, a very powerful one, which is La ilaha illa insa. Uh, so there is none worthy of worship but you glory is to you surely I was amongst the wrong the wrongdoers I mean thank you for sharing that beautiful uh, dua with us Absolutely. and for your inspirational stories and advice and thank you for having me we'll see you next time inshallah inshallah alaikum as-salam <laughs>